Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket at dr-gen.com. Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg is a mother of three and a 20-plus year pediatrician, board certified, who has called all of her amazing advice and made a series of five-minute videos on everything from feeding and sleeping to safety and all types of parenting issues, which basically every parent out there can use, especially in the middle of the night when you can't reach your pediatrician. So this is like a must do and she's offering a discount to everyone with code PIP20. PIP20 is the code to get 20% off of all of her modules. So definitely go to dr-gen.com and check it out. It's also on a link in my website too, zibbyowens.com. I'm here today with Kylie Reed, who's the author of Such a Fun Eight. She's a recent graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, where she was awarded the Truman Capote Fellowship. Her short stories have been featured in Plowshares, December, New South, and Lumina. She currently lives in Philadelphia, PA. So welcome, Kylie. Thanks for coming on Moms Enough Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me. Of course. So can you please tell listeners what Such a Fun Age is about? Absolutely. So Such a Fun Age starts in 2015. And on Saturday night in September, we meet Amira Tucker. Amira is a 25-year-old African-American babysitter. She's at that postgraduate part in her life where she doesn't know what she wants to do. She kind of eats the same crockpot meal four nights a week, but she does know she loves babysitting Briar Chamberlain. Briar is a chatty and odd three-year-old girl. 
So Amira is out at a party and gets a call from Briar's mom, Alex. Please take Briar. We had an emergency. Amira takes Briar to a grocery store where they're having fun, they're dancing, until a white customer and a security guard accuse her of stealing the child. Someone pulls out their phone, a video is taken, and Alex Chamberlain kind of sets out to right the night's wrongs. But it turns into a bit of a comedy of good intentions after that. And there's big themes of ownership, of holding grudges, of who belongs to who. And of course, I mean, you can't tell a story like this without talking about race and class as well. And childcare. And childcare. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge part. Yeah. By the way, I'm so excited to finally be talking to you because I got this copy at Book Expo. Uh-huh. And Putnam gave me the bag that oh, goes with it. Oh, the bag is great. Yeah. I've been carrying this bag around, like, everywhere. I love it. It's different than all the bags, so I can always find it. It's a deep Okay, bag. so Kylie's yes. cover, <laughs> sorry, as I'm, like, going off on a tangent, You're is fine. this really awesome, like, black with, like, a brilliant bluish color on top. I, I'm not pattern. And then it says such a fun age and hot pink. And it's just like the coolest cover. Not that you should judge a book by its cover, but <laughs> if you were going to, this is a really cool cover. It's definitely a book fair bag that you can stuff a lot of books into. So they did yeah. a really good job. So thank yeah. you. Thank of you course. for that. <laughs> so how did you come up with that whole scene that you just described and making that the idea for a book? I think that scene came after experiencing the characters a little bit. I always start with characters and I'm huh. really drawn to awkward interactions between characters. (laughs) And the number three is a great number with awkwardness between relationships. And lucky for me, I ended up with two of those. One was between Amira and the woman she babysits for, Alex, and the man who films it, Kelly. And the other one, which is a really awkward dynamic sometimes, is between a mom, a babysitter, and the child, which I think is so interesting because There's weird ownership things of, well, it's my child. Well, I spend more time with her. And then you have this non-reliable, you know, three-year-old who one day picks the mom, one day picks the babysitter. And so I think those relationships kind of guided me to the grocery store scene. That didn't come till later. And you, this is your debut novel. This is it. And why childcare in particular, not child, not that it's about childcare, but why like the scene between the nan, like have, were you ever a babysitter? Like I was a babysitter for a long yeah. time growing up and a camp counselor. And did you have that kind of background oh, yeah. or were you just interested or? The whole thing. I've been babysitting since I was 10. I was a camp counselor. I was an RA. I was a nanny for six years in New York City. And I'm still friends with a lot of families that I babysat for. I watched a lot of interesting relationships. I was a, a party leader at the craft studio, which is oh, birthday no parties. Oh, yeah, for a long time. You don't recognize me? I might, many I might have been at many parties. <laughs> I did maybe eight a week for no like oh, three gosh. years. That was one of my favorite jobs. I loved it. And I think it was just huge inspiration for the world. I don't write autofiction, so this is completely fictional, but of course I was inspired by listening to toddlers speak, watching interactions. It was a huge point in the backdrop. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Now I understand a little (laughs) bit more. So one of your characters is the mom who goes by Alix, but really we find out she is really Alex, that she's sort of changed her name. And one thing I found interesting was her relationship with her friends and then Amira's relationship with her friends. And they both have like a crew that they keep going back to and you alternate between these groups of friends. And there's this one funny scene that I really liked. Alex is on this urgent conference call about something else with her girlfriends, but then she admits to them that she gained weight recently. And her friend Jody says, Alix, I love you and you're beautiful. You always are, but I'm being a good friend right now and asking you how much weight you've gained. And you, you write, Alix looks down, sighs, and says, 
I'm afraid to check. And then her friend Tamara says, oh God, why didn't you say something earlier? And Jody <laughs> says, you need to get your SHIT together because you are not this person. And then they all agree that they're going to have an intervention. Mm-hmm. I don't have girlfriends who say this to me. Like, <laughs> I've not been comfortable enough to sort of like be like, I need an intervention, friends. Like, have you, what made you, tell me more about this Absolutely. scene. I mean, I wanted each Alex and Amira to have these groups of really loyal, wonderful friends that also give terrible advice, like a lot of (laughs) friends do. So for me personally, I think I actually do have some relationships where someone, for me, it would be different if I said I hadn't written anything in a month. I have friends who would say, what is going on with you? Like, this isn't okay anymore. And I kind of like that accountability a little bit. I think that for Alex's friends, It's, this is really not who you are. Mm -hmm. And that mixed with her moving to Philadelphia, with her not writing her book like she's supposed to, I think that, well, I also think it's telling that they're saying, oh my gosh, all of these things and you've gained weight, well, you really must not be okay. And I think that that's a reflection of the things that they know about her and who she is as a person. So I do like honest friends. I hope to keep them for a while, but I'm sure I'm sure that comment hurt. Jody's pretty brutal. So I mean, I like to think my friends are honest, but I think it's my own, like, I don't know, what you're willing to be held accountable for in a way. I almost. agree. I agree. <laughs> I think Alex in saying I'm afraid to check is kind of welcoming that yeah. comment a little bit. She's looking for a kick in the butt a little bit, but is that something that I would want someone to say to me? Absolutely not. So... And you also contrast the way you write the language of the groups of friends. It's like very slang versus very proper versus, I don't know, I was very struck by the slang in the book, basically. Did you do that on purpose? I love like hyper-realistic dialogue. Mm -hmm. So I like writing things the way that they're heard for the most part. I think that there's two things going on. And one, having been a babysitter, I definitely talk differently Mm -hmm. than I do. I think everyone has what I call a receptionist voice, the voice they use at work versus the voice they use privately. But of course, there's another dynamic of African-American people not being considered professional when they use certain vernacular and Amira being very keen to that and what she wants to say in front of not only her employer, but someone who has a three-year-old child, even though, you know, when Amira talks to Briar and uses slang privately, I think that's when she really sh- shines mm-hmm. as well. Yep. But I think that she's rightfully nervous about what that would mean in front of Alex. Interesting. Yeah, it felt like you're, it could be very cinematic. Like it felt like we could be reading like a screenplay in certain scenes. Oh, right? I it's hope very, so, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Can you tell me a little more about your background in writing and how you started writing and how you ended up writing a Yeah, I went to to undergrad for theater and religious studies, and there's not a ton of jobs for theater and religious studies, but I ended up writing a lot of my monologues and just trying to slip them through the radar. I'd always been interested in writing, and in my mid-20s, I realized it was really what I wanted to do. I was a receptionist at the time, and I was writing afterwards and slowly getting short stories placed different places. I applied to grad school the first time, and I didn't get in anywhere. And the second time, my husband had a job opportunity in Arkansas, and he said, do you want to come with me? Try again. So I did. I got a job at a coffee shop and just wrote my butt off. And that time I got accepted into the IR Writers Workshop, where I just graduated from this past May. So this is also pretty new, but I would say it's been the past seven or eight years of taking writing seriously. And this is sort of a broad question, but I've always wondered what the Iowa Writers Workshop is like, because people come from all over the world to Iowa for this. They do. What's, What's it about? Like, what makes it so special? 
Tell me like yeah. the inside scoop on that. I think what makes Iowa so special is they are the school that invented the workshop process where you turn in work the week before, everyone reads it, and then you sit there silently while everyone gives feedback. And so it's not easy. I think it's really important. And I had a good experience, especially with uh, Paul Harding, who I did the novel workshop with, and Jess Walter, who's also wonderful. It's difficult when everyone's going around talking about what's working or what's not working. And then you have to go to dinner and show a brave face right after. But I went in knowing that I wanted readers who would extend my time there. And I came out with three women who are just my people and my readers of everything. So it's difficult. It's cold. But it's so cold, you stay in and write all the time. (laughs) I had a pretty lovely experience there. And especially, I workshopped this novel. And I probably took maybe 85% of the edits that were given to me. So that was a great workshop. Wow. Yeah. So how long did it take you to write this novel? I thought about it for maybe two years. I had these characters rolling around in my head. But actual pen to paper was maybe two and a half years. But then there was another year of editing with my editor once it sold. Wow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. It's a lot of steps. Yeah. How does it feel now that it's coming out and it's like in your it's there's a finished product and I mean I'm really excited to 
talk about the themes that I didn't even know I was writing about at the time. I'm really excited to have it in people's hands. There is a strange thing about being a writer in that the work is done and you change as a person, but your work doesn't change. And so this thing, you know, comes with you, even though if I went to set about writing this book again, I wouldn't do it the same way because we're always changing and I hope I always am. So it's strange. It's really exciting. It's nerve wracking, but I'm super excited to have a platform to talk about these characters that I love and care about, but also about the systemic racism that puts certain people in places like this. So, so if you were starting this book again now, having changed, mm-hmm. what would be different? Oh my Lord, I don't even know. I, don't know. <laughs> I feel like the characters join you at a certain place and that's just like a complete place a little bit that you can't go back to, but hopefully whatever I write next will be that book. <laughs> so did you set out, you said the themes that you didn't even know were there. Did mm-hmm. you set out to write a book that would touch on issues of class and race or did you, was that an ancillary benefit after your characters sort of came to life? I truly believe that going into a novel using heavy-handed themes stands in the way of plot. But I also believe that no novel is non-political. I go in with characters, and I think it's Tayari Jones who talks about, you want to write about people's problems and not problems people, because that just flattens everyone out. So I went in saying, I want to write about a mom, a nanny, and a new boyfriend. And I love books that are based in the world that we live in now. And so those other issues come out naturally and they're issues that I really care about. So that's kind of a bonus. Huh. Yeah. I like it. You also kind of trash Philadelphia a little oh bit. Gosh, in the book. It's my it's my new home. I know. <laughs> you said, I just want to read this because it's so funny. You wrote, Alix wondered how she would ever call Philadelphia home. How could she keep her dexterity as a mother and small business owner while surrounded by the type of woman who halted security check flow because she'd forgotten to remove her jacket? <laughs> I mean, Alex is really struggling to move from New York to Philadelphia. She's lonely. And I think that her feelings of like, how am I going to be who I was in New York kind of cut Philadelphia down. So all of those scenes are, from Alex's point of view, are definitely her views of what Philadelphia is. But I also think she's really struggling. So I want to give her <laughs> that too. I love Philadelphia. And that's why I moved there. That's why I based the book there. It's a wonderful place. And I kind of like... I liked the opportunity to show Philadelphia through Alex's eyes and through Amira's eyes, too. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, which is a great place. It's really hot. But then I spent nine years in New York City. I was in Arkansas for a bit, Iowa. But Philadelphia is our new home, and I'm excited to be there. Excellent. Yeah. Another one of my favorite scenes was during Thanksgiving, which I was actually, like, re thinking about and rereading on Thanksgiving when they were in the linen closet surrounded by light bulbs and all the rest and Alex, Leaks, whatever, is confiding in all her friends about like the drama that's going on downstairs, which I won't go into and spoil anything. But tell me a little bit about that moment. Like, do you remember where you were when you were writing that scene to begin with and like what you were thinking? And That's a good question. The whole entire Thanksgiving scene, mm-hmm. I, I love, you know, you make a bunch of characters and then at some point you put them all in a room together. And Thanksgiving, that whole scene took me maybe eight weeks to figure out the logistics of. And I kept losing babies and not enjoying (laughs) where kids were sitting. And I had to write out who's sitting and everywhere. And I loved the idea of a room within a room. Mm -hmm. And so Alex and all of her girlfriends meet up there to figure out how they're going to handle this evening. I love close quarters with women. There's a lot of bathroom scenes where Mm -hmm. women are in really close quarters together. And I think it's this moment where Alex 
you know, has a little bit of a breather before she has to go back out there and put a good face on. Her friends are, they are who they are. I mean, they're freaking out with her, and I love when my friends do that too. I kind of feel like that scene is a, you know, a vision of a group text a little bit. Right. And I wanted to keep the stakes high, but also kind of put her in a room and make her, you know, feel the, the tenseness of the moment. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what is coming next for you? Like, what do you see as, like, what themes are you going to try? Or maybe you're not going to do any themes in particular since you don't want to be too heavy-handed. But, like, when you think about what's to come, I mean, you're such a young writer to have such a big debut, and I feel like this book is already getting so much attention. What, like, how are you going to follow this? Are you feeling pressure? I always feel pressure, but I also, like I said before, just always want to, I kind of love the idea of looking back at anything I've done five years ago and saying I want to do better next time. I want to be on a continual journey to being a good writer, which is a great thing because it's not like, you know, a ballerina or dancer or anything. Hopefully I can get better as I go. As much as I don't want to be heavy-handed in my writing, I care about the quality of life that we live in. And so class warfare is something that I'm super interested in and want to keep writing about. I have started very, very weekly on novel number two, but I'm a slow reader and writer, so I want to take a little bit to do that. And I'm really excited to go on tour with this novel and see what really struck a chord with people as well. We were talking before, you say you read about 25 books a year, but you felt you feel badly about that. And I was saying a lot of people would think that was a lot of books a year. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would expect myself to do more as it is my job now. But if I read a sentence that really hooks me, I need to take a moment, read it again, think about it. I'm also a big rereader. I know a lot of people are anti-rereading, but if I love something, I'll read it again in six months. Like the whole the whole book again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few I reread. Is there something you can mention? Like a book oh, yeah. That- Special Topics in Calamity mm-hmm. Physics by Marissa Pessel. That's one of the most, like, challenging and creative books I feel like there ever was to write. I love that book so much, and every time I read it again, which is maybe three times, I see something wow. new. So, yeah. Are you a rereader yourself? I'm only a rereader in that my memory gets bad after a bunch of years. <laughs> so now I'm re- I reread books that I read in my 20s, and I have a different reaction to them now. I love like, that a little there bit. There was a book I loved in my 20s called Drinking a Love Story by Caroline Knapp. And it was like, I loved this book, and I would always recommend it to people. And then recently I was like, why did I like this book so much? Uh-huh. Let me go back to this. Like, I don't really drink. I mean, whatever, like recreate. What? Anyway, I read it again, and I was like, huh, I see what I liked then, but this would not hit me the same way now. Oh, for sure. So I like that, but not like analyzing for craft the way you do Mm -hmm. to like delve into the mechanics. Although you're much smarter than I, I mean, you're like, no, I mean, that's like really great that you do that. Oh, good. But I I don't, I don't do that. I think graduate school gave me the time and tools to look into what are you doing with this paragraph? What are you doing with the sentence, with the rhythm of everything? And so going back, I'll definitely take a highlighter now and spend like a lot of time figuring out what they're doing and try to replicate it in hmm. some way. So so for the characters in the book, are are we supposed to like one of them more than the other? Like, do you have an affinity for Amira versus Alex? Like, do you want the reader to sort of come to their own decision do, I mean, do you want them both to be equally likable? Like, should we be rooting for one of them versus the other one? I personally, well, one, I love all of my characters. I could not write about them unless I loved all of them. But I personally don't love it when I feel an author is urging me to like one person or like another. And a lot of people will say to me, you know, oh, I loved this person and then he did this and I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. And I think that that feeling right there is exactly what I want readers to feel. I think we all have friends who we love a lot and then we hear them say something or do something and we go, 
What does that mean? Can we, should I say something? Should I not say something? And I think that's the feeling that I hope my readers get from it, that these are humans and they're complicated. We all have relationships with people who we're not sure where their morals lie sometimes. And what do we do with that feeling? I kind of want readers to rest in that uncomfortableness a little bit. But if they love someone and think they're being charming, great. If they later get really upset with them, that's fine too. I would love for them to take it as they come. And what about your commentary on race? Are you trying to say something with this book or do you just want people to analyze it or take it as it is? Like, is there- My first goal with any book is that people enjoy it. I love getting so lost in a book that I forget about everything or I say, oh, just one more chapter, one more chapter. As far as the politics in this book, I think I would prefer for people to kind of zone out a little bit and not look at people as individuals. Alex at her best can't change the world and Amira at her best can't change the world either. But the situation that Amira is in, she works her butt off. She's really good at her job and she doesn't have health insurance. I would love for people to think what her life would look like if she did have a backbone to fall into. And I hope that people can look at their friends and say, okay, Alex met Jody through Briar's doctor. That's how they met. And now they have these friends and her friends can hook her up with jobs or connections, everything else. Amira will never, in the, under the system we live in, never go to the same doctor that Alex goes to. And so her friends and her are limited to resources. So I do feel that until everyone can share in the same good resources, these dynamics will exist in poor ways. So I would love for readers to open up a broader scope and look at what situations these characters are placed under. And the reason I keep asking is because you were, you said you were excited to talk about all the themes. So I'm not trying to put you on oh the spot. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? This is my favorite stuff. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm like, That's I don't great. mean to say. Yeah, of course. Maybe you don't want to talk about it, but anyway. <laughs> Didn't mean to. Not at all. So you are obviously a super gifted author and have great ideas. And I love even just the thoughtfulness you're putting into like how you approach each Thank book you. and everything. If somebody was just starting out and wants to be a, an author like you, what advice would you give them? Oh man, I hate saying it because it's so like tried, but reading and writing all the time. I think this is one of those cool professions where you can try and copy what other people are doing with your own style attached to it. And that can only improve your writing. I wrote many terrible novels before this one, but I think that it all, you know, impacts everything else you're doing as you learn to get rid of, and, you know, old habits and get better ones at the same time. I think the best advice I could give for someone as a writer is to read nonfiction. It is something that I thought I would never be doing, but in my 20s, as I get interested in something, there's always an expert who's explored that world. And so watching documentaries or reading books about, in my case, class and for my next book, I read a book about universities that really inspired me. I would say to find the experts and take their work and put it into your fiction. Hmm. Almost like, I was going to say it's like a historical fiction take, but it's like current day. It's like... So what is yeah. that even called? I don't, I don't even know. know. Yeah, present yeah. day fiction. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll make up a new category. Exactly. So starting with the genre. Yes. Kylie Reed, the new genre. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books was sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket by Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg, dr-gen.com. Enter code PIP20, PIP20, 
for 20% off of these can't miss modules that will make your parenting life so much easier. You can follow me on Instagram at moms don't have time to read books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.